Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you will give us minds that will understand you, ears that will listen to your word, and hearts that will seek your glory in all that we do. We pray that you will give me the word to speak clearly your message and help us to grow accordingly. Amen. Well, ten years ago, Leslie and I went down and we visited Port Arthur. We looked around the old convict settlement and were amazed by what we saw. Imagine back then the place full of convicts and outlaws. I'm sure the memories would have remained with you forever. Imagine being a part of that convict prison almost 200 years ago. You would have been insane to try to risk your life in escaping. Because around Port Arthur, you see, is the Tasman Peninsula. You've got the cold pounding seas and the threat of shark-infested waters. The only way in or out to Port Arthur is this narrow neck called Eagle Hawk Neck. And across that narrow stretch back then consisted this dog line. They put nine ferocious dogs at various intervals so no one could get through. It was an impassable barrier. No one in their right mind would dare try to escape. But Billy Hunt was not a right-minded person. He attempted to escape Port Arthur by disguising himself inside a kangaroo suit. <laughs> he um, proceeded to hop up the beach to the dog line and he reached the dogs and he passed through untouched. The thing was that the guards heard the barking and they thought, gee, we're pretty bored. We might, um, we, we see this big kangaroo and they thought that they might practice their um, shooting. After a few wayward bullets, Billy Hunt jumped out of this kangaroo skin and surrendered to the authorities. I'm sure we've all heard about many great stories of escaping. The good ones are often made into movies or books. There have been many people saved from death by great stories of rescue and deliverance. But what about God's rescue and deliverance of his people? How do greater story, great escape stories rate with the passage that we've just had read out to us? God rescuing Peter and delivering him from a death sentence. God achieves this through a miraculous escape plan that nobody else is capable of. It's a great confidence builder as God's people that his power is stronger than anything else that we can imagine. Acts 12 illustrates to us God's rescue plan put into action. It, it illustrates God demonstrating his power. There is no competition when it comes down to our power against God's power. We cannot compete with God. That is because God is still active amongst the growing church. God is continually rescuing his people and bringing them back to himself. Because who could dare to oppose God's purposes when lives are being transformed and people are brought to Christ? Whose plans can never be bigger than God's plans? Because we are now entering a time in Acts where we see Christianity becoming the main headline attraction. I'm sure the Apostle Peter knows 
where his confidence comes from and who the real rescuer is. He's experienced it all firsthand. And it's Peter who has performed many great things in the name of Christ. It is Peter who has introduced many believers to Jesus. It's Peter who has become so popular now that we actually see him in this tug-of-war between two kings. Peter is the one who is in great demand. Because on the one hand, we have King Herod, the destroyer, contesting to keep Peter in his possession, wanting to kill him. And on the other hand, we have King Jesus, the rescuer, wanting Peter to continue spreading his word and, making, and building up believers. So Acts chapter 12 quickly becomes a story of the good king versus the bad king. It's Jesus versus Herod, the king of rescue versus the king of ruin, the first century heavyweight battle to see whether man is able to overcome God's purposes. Herod will stop at nothing to gain control of his kingdom. He will destroy or kill anything that gets in his way. King Herod thinks that he can do it all himself. Herod thinks that he can rescue his reputation and popularity through his own authority and power. But is his power enough to compete with God's power? Are his plans greater than God's plans? There is an old Chinese saying which says, when you have a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. And I think that's what Herod sees himself as, the hammerer. But firstly, let's begin by carrying a quick background check on this bad king. Here in Acts, we have Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great, don't you? The, the great baby killer in Matthew chapter 2, who after Jesus was born, gave orders to kill all the baby boys in Jerusalem under two years old. Obviously, he wasn't a very nice king to be serving under, and his character traits have obviously been passed down through generations. It seems that the name Herod in the Bible symbolises a weapon of mass destruction. Acts 12 begins with Herod, and it also ends with Herod. Herod was a tyrant who opposed those who belonged to the church. He was the one responsible for arresting and killing Christian believers. Herod was not only an insane king, but he was a deadly king. The stage is set from the beginning. The Apostle James has been put to death by Herod. And not being content with just killing James, Herod wants to have Peter killed as well. Read with me from chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Herod was a king who was driven to persecute the church. But it wasn't only because of his hatred or spite against what Christians were doing. His purpose in all this was really to gain, to further his own public interest, to gain the praise of the people that he ruled over. It was a popularity contest. James's death pleased the Jews. They absolutely loved it. So Herod is going to continue putting these Christians to death because that's what makes him popular with these people. 
as we learn about the many reasons why Christians were persecuted throughout the Bible, we can now add to it that the purpose of increasing Herod's reputation as king, the slaughter of Christians brought Herod favour amongst the Jews. And Herod's acceptance is on the increase, and his purposes seemed to be working out much better than he had planned. Herod was a real threat to the growing church. Peter's been arrested and he's been put in jail, awaiting the same fate as, as James would. But we are told it's not going to happen until after the Passover. Herod's decision to postpone Peter's execution was merely because that there would be many more Jews in Jerusalem celebrating the feast of the Passover. Peter's death would have its greatest effect with all these tourists in town. And Herod's popularity would increase dramatically. Let's read from verse 3. Verse 3. King Herod proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This section seems to show a great irony. You see, all the Jews were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the celebration of God's rescue of his people from Egypt. Yet Peter, an apostle of the greatest rescuer, was imprisoned, and he is about to die for his part in God's rescue purpose. It's easy to think that Herod is gaining the upper hand at this point in time. I mean, he's already killed James, and his death drew a positive response from all the Jews. And now Peter is in prison, awaiting the same fate. The church would have already been suffering greatly from the loss of James. Imagine what the death of Peter would also do for the church. The church might have been feeling a bit let down. They might have been thinking that Christianity was becoming a bit weak. It certainly wasn't a time of joy and praising God. What could the church do in times like these? Well, we aren't sure what Peter was going through when he was in jail, but we do know that the church of believers were earnestly praying for Peter. They obviously knew what was to be done in a time of crisis. That was to pray. Because the one chance that Peter had of being rescued from death was from Christ himself. The true king can be relied upon for deliverance and rescue. And although Peter was in the front line of the battle, the church was also there fighting with him every step of the way because it was all that they could do for Peter at this point in time. And so Peter was placed under Herod's orders to be guarded around the clock by four squads of four soldiers each. One soldier either side of Peter was chained to him as well as two others guarding the door to Peter's cell. Peter was locked down in maximum security. King Herod had no intention of letting Peter escape his clutches again. This time, Herod is going to end it. There's no chance of rescue for Herod's prized possession. Read verse 6 with me. 
The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. I'm still trying to work out how Peter managed to fall asleep in a time like this, the night before his execution. I'm surely the nerves and anxiety would be enough to cause Peter unrest and uneasiness. And the fact that Peter falls asleep, I think, shows that he doesn't even attempt to escape. Peter is in no position to rescue himself. This part of the story reminds me of any good movie where the bad guy has managed to capture the good guy and intends to kill him. But before he does so, he always lets the the victim in on his plan of world domination and how he sets about to kill him. First, the hungry mouse in the cage will eat its way out through the cheese, knocking over the candle onto the gunpowder, which will ignite the gas burner, burning the wood which the bowling ball is resting upon, which will fall down, pull the string, which will uh, pull the trigger on the gun, which will shoot the victim dead. (laughs) And you're sitting there thinking, why doesn't this guy just grab the gun and shoot him straight away? Because you know that he's going to free himself from the chair that he's tied up to. And in the end, the hero turns up out of nowhere to save the day. I reckon everyone um, who gets put in jail tries to think of some elaborate escape plan, especially if you're on death row. There's no worse place to be in. No one really wants to be there. I'm sure if I was in jail, I wouldn't be thinking to myself, oh, it's so peaceful here. No wife, no kids. I think I'll catch up on some sleep. No. But it seems that Peter accepts what is coming to him. He feels that a rescue strategy isn't needed. Peter knows that God's purposes will be carried out, whatever the outcome. Peter knows what God is capable of, yet he doesn't expect anything that might save him from his predicament. Suddenly, Peter is woken up by a bright shining light. An angel appears and wakes him up. The chains fall off his wrists. Peter is told to get dressed. After doing as the angel tells him, he then follows the angel out of prison, past the first set of guards, past the second set of guards, and out of the big iron gate which leads into the city. And the angel departed once Peter was safe. And Peter realised that he was rescued from death because of the Lord. Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. Oh, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Whether or not 
Peter was seeing a vision or experiencing reality, there was a great willingness to obey and to follow what the angel ordered. Because when he is finally left alone in the street, Peter knows that it is only through God's rescue effort that he is where he is. Peter has been snatched from death. It's amazing, isn't it? God has delivered Peter once again from the hand of the enemy. Peter gives praise to God for rescuing him. And so Peter continues on by himself. And he ends up at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And in that house were a group of people who were praying for him. He knocks on the door and the servant girl Rhoda answers it. And she is so excited in hearing his voice that she runs back to tell the others, forgetting to open the door for Peter. Well, let's just pause here and recap what has happened so far. Peter wakes up. He's freed from the chains that bound him. Peter manages to get dressed and creep past the guards without waking them up. Peter passed through the big iron gates with minimal effort, like walking into a shopping centre with automatic doors. The big iron gates just opened up by themselves. But when he fronts up at the house of believers, he can't even make it past the front door. No one will open it for him. Even the apostles have their off moments too. Those who were inside didn't believe Rhoda's, Rhoda's announcement. They said to her, you're out of your mind. They thought it was Peter's angel. But when they went to investigate and opened the door, they truly saw it was Peter. They were amazed to see him. And Peter shared with them from his experiences. And then he left them to go somewhere else. Read with me from verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. The last person that these people were expecting to knock on the door late at night was Peter himself. And we get a hint that these people weren't really expecting Peter to be rescued. They said, you're out of your mind. The church were not confident about Peter's fate. No one in their right mind would actually think that Peter had actually escaped Herod's clutches. It was like that they were telling Peter, look mate, to tell you the truth, this wasn't really the result that we were praying for. I'm sure Peter's miraculous escape would have greatly encouraged God's people though. I'm sure Peter's experience would have given them greater confidence to go out and keep spreading the gospel. I'm sure Peter's death would have stopped God's purposes. Uh, I'm sure Peter's death wouldn't have stopped God's purposes being carried out. But to read of this great rescue surely brings to our attention that God is with his people. The following morning saw a frenzy among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Herod is told the bad news. He sends out a search party for Peter, 
and comes up empty. King Herod can kill whoever he wants, but not Peter, not today. And being the hot-headed king he is, he instead executes the guards. Herod didn't like being made a fool of. He makes the guards pay the penalty in place of Peter. They paid the price with their lives. Read with me verse 18. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Well, we now enter this last section focusing on Herod and his death as recorded by Luke. We are told Herod heads out from Judea and Caesarea and, and stays there a while. He meets up with the people of Tyre and Sidon and Herod quarrels with them. Herod didn't really have the greatest of relationships with these people. These people actually infuriated and angered him. Look at verse 20 with me. He had been quarrelling with the apostle with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. These people wanted peace because they relied on Herod for their food provision. They were in a sense needing rescuing from their king. They were dependent on their king. But it shows us something more than just a slight disagreement about food. It shows us what is in store for those who dare to oppose God. Because if we look at verse 21 and following, it says, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Herod had delivered a public address to these people. In all his robes, in all his majesty, they proclaimed Herod was a god. And because Herod didn't give the honour due to God, an angel struck him down immediately. He was eaten by worms. It was a gruesome death. For a gruesome king. Herod had addressed these people and saw them proclaiming Herod more than just a king. He was a god in their eyes. Herod saw himself as the rescuer and deliverer of these people. You could say that in the end Herod got exactly what was coming for him. This was the price he paid for not honouring God. Because it's Peter's life that is miraculously spared. It's Herod who is struck down and executed at the hand of God. No longer are Herod's purposes superior over God's, but God's purposes have been revealed through these miraculous means. Herod dies instead of Peter. Peter has escaped the hand of Herod, but Herod cannot escape the judgment of God. God's, God wins. God's enemies will not last. God's purposes have been satisfied. And the result of all this is summed up for us in verse 24. It says that the word of God continued to increase and spread. 
Verse 24 shows a complete reversal to the rest of the chapter. Just when you think things were looking bad, God steps in and does something extraordinary. God turns things around for his own good purposes. Herod kills James. Herod wants to kill Peter. Herod dies instead of Peter. God rescues his people. God shows that the purposes of the gospel will destroy the enemy. And the word of God continued to increase and spread. The disciples in Acts have actually done a wonderful job because we've seen the gospel reach all the way to us here in Chatswood. The good news of Jesus Christ is not a weak message. It's a confident message of a great rescue plan for God's people. What sort of things stop you telling people about Jesus? Where is your confidence lacking? Be encouraged in your relationship with Christ. Be bold. Be courageous in spreading the gospel. Because you know that God can turn the tables to those who oppose him. When Peter was delivered from the hands of Herod, it demonstrated God's great power. The power that saves his people from those who dare to oppose God's purposes. It's Peter who escaped the chains of death and it, it was Herod who couldn't escape the judgment of God. In our lives it would be good for us to acknowledge and accept God's purposes. It would be good for us to honour God and to recognise Jesus as King. Because there are many people today, like Herod, who are corrupt and who set out to harm God's church. God's purposes cannot be overpowered by men. Instead, God's purposes have overpowered sin. We have grounds for a great confidence. Our King has won. Those who seek to destroy or hammer out the gospel will fail. For our God is a King who raises the humble and tears down the mighty. Let's pray. Lord, you are a king who gives us great confidence. Please draw us closer to you, for we know that you are a Lord of comfort when we need it. We know that you are active within this world. And through Jesus Christ, we are able to grasp the extent of your great gift given to us. Please help us to understand our life as a result of that great gift. Please continue to bless us, encourage us and strengthen us as we fix our eyes on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.